everybody. It is Wednesday, November 29th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwinunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. As you can probably tell, it's just me today. Jill is a bit under the weather. Uh, she plans to return tomorrow. Today is the 333rd day of the year, 333. So those of you who are superstitious or believe in luck, make a wish today. With that, let's get started with today's headlines. We're going to start with some ransomware attacks that have led hospitals in at least four states in the U.S. to have to divert patients to other ERs, what's behind the attacks, and when the hospitals think they will get their systems back online. Today is the last day of this temporary truce between the Israelis and Hamas. The question right now is, will it be extended again? We'll tell you the latest. A memorial service for former First Lady Rosalind Carter took place on Tuesday, bringing together all living First Ladies and a couple presidents. While mortgage rates have climbed towards 8%, it has done little to cool housing prices. We'll check in on them. It appears Americans broke another record on Cyber Monday with just how much we spent online. We'll dive into those numbers in today's pod. Presidential son Hunter Biden says he will speak before the committee looking to impeach his father, but there's a catch. And we'll dive into the ongoing debate over what killed the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. There's a new study out that says it wasn't just an asteroid. And of course, I'll bring you on this day in history, a little Bon Jovi for you to end the show. But let's start with our top story right now, a very concerning development impacting a number of hospitals across the country. Medical facilities run by Ardent Health Services in at least four states in the U.S. have been diverting patients from their emergency rooms after that healthcare company was hit by a cyber ransomware attack over the weekend. The company says that patient care continues to be delivered safely and effectively in its hospitals, ERs, and clinics, but it had to move some ER patients to other hospitals and reschedule some non-urgent elective procedures out of an abundance of caution. Hospital chains diverting ER patients included Hillcrest Healthcare Systems in Oklahoma, the Lovelace Health System in New Mexico, and UT Health in Texas. I'm told by some officials there it could be weeks before the systems are fully up and running again. Arden Health Services said cyber attackers took its network offline on Thanksgiving and effectively suspended user access to IT applications like software used to document patient care. Now, by yesterday afternoon, more than half of Arden's 25 ERs had resumed accepting patients again by ambulance or fully lifted what's called divert status. Divert status means hospitals have asked ambulances to take those in need of emergency care to other facilities nearby. That's something we saw during COVID as uh, facilities were overwhelmed, in this case, due to the fact that their computer systems were down. Now, the company so far cannot confirm, is not confirming the extent to which any compromised patient health or financial information was hacked into. It has reported things to federal law enforcement and retained what they say is third-party forensic and threat intelligence advisors who are working with cybersecurity specialists to restore IT functions within these hospitals. There is no official timeline. Again, it could be days. And in some cases, it could be weeks. Now, ransomware is a form of malware designed to encrypt files on a device, rendering any files or systems that rely on them unusable. Why it's called ransomware? Because the attackers demand ransom in exchange for decrypting your computer. Now, hospitals have been attacked like this going back a decade. I was working on stories about this going back to 2016 at CBS News. Oftentimes, the criminal culprits are in Eastern Europe or Russia. They demand payment, often in Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency, in order to unlock the hospital systems and let them use their computers again. 
A recent global study by the cybersecurity firm Sophos found that nearly two-thirds of healthcare organizations were hit by ransomware attacks in just the past year, going back to the spring. Education is also a sector that is targeted, in fact, the most likely sector, with about 80% of uh, institutions being educational. Now, ultimately, what these ransomware attackers do is steal data and say, basically, we're going to reveal personal information about your clients, about your patients, about your students, unless you pay us off. It's effectively a form of extortion here, demanding payment so they don't make information uh, stolen public to everyone. The data can also be sold online on the black market. Last year, 2022, 25 U.S. healthcare systems involving nearly 300 hospitals were hit by this type of attack. This year alone, it's been 36 systems involving 128 hospitals. Now, the FBI advises the hospitals not to pay the attackers because there's no guarantee that payment will fix the bug and it fuels more attacks. That said, these hospitals don't always say how they get their systems back online. So the assumption is that in some cases, they may pay off these hackers. Oftentimes, ransomware hackers will wait until a major holiday weekend, like we saw over Thanksgiving, as they hope fewer security employees will be working and they're able to break through. Oftentimes, malware like this is able to get in when someone inside the institution clicks on a link that they shouldn't be. All right, now to the latest in the Middle East. That's where Hamas and Israel today are set for the final hostage for prisoner exchange after a six-day temporary truce. Now, remember, they had a four-day truce that was extended by two days. And right now, as of the time we record this, late on Tuesday evening, there is a negotiation about extending this even further. The first swap happened back on Friday, the latest swap on Tuesday. That's when 10 Israeli hostages were exchanged for 30 Palestinian prisoners inside Israeli jails. Hamas also released two Thai nationals that had taken hostage alongside those 10 Israelis. It was nine Israeli adult women, as well as one 17-year-old teen. Again, this comes as officials in Qatar are working to extend the truce. You have the Qataris, the Egyptians, the U.S., Israeli officials, as well as Hamas officials, all working on a potential deal here. Israel has said that it is open to extending this truce up to nine days if Hamas continues to release at least 10 hostages a day. Right now, it's estimated 155 hostages continue to remain inside the Gaza Strip, held by Hamas now more than 50 days. That does include several more small children, including the 10-month-old we've been telling you about, Kfir Bibas, who's being held with his four-year-old brother and mom and father. A total of 88 hostages have been released over the last seven weeks, 60 total just during this truce over the last few days. In addition to Israelis, Hamas has been holding a number of foreign nationals, including a number of Thai and Filipino workers who were in Israel uh, the day of the attack. As I mentioned, Tuesday's exchange included the release of one 17-year-old Israeli teen. Her name is Mia Leenberg. We posted these photos on Instagram yesterday and included her walking out alongside an armed terrorist from Hamas, as well as one from Islamic Jihad, another terror group in the Gaza Strip. And she was holding her Shih Tzu. Uh, the dog's name is Bella, apparently also taken hostage along with Mia and her mother on October 7th. It was a pretty remarkable sight. I noted this on Instagram. You know, it, October 7th was so arbitrary in terms of the attackers, the terrorists who came in, who they massacred, who they killed, all of the horrific things that were conducted, who they took hostage. In some cases, they killed people's pets. And in this case, in Mia Leinberg's case, they took her hostage alongside her Shih Tzu, the two of them walking out alongside her mother on Tuesday evening. Now, this exchange, this temporary truce, was on pretty shaky ground early on Tuesday that came as Israel said that Hamas took aim, fired at Israeli troops, injuring a couple. Uh, Hamas blamed Israel without any specifics. But the two sides were able to overlook that and continue with the exchange on Tuesday. 
Now, we'll be watching uh, to see if a truce extension happens hour by hour today. If a truce is not extended, hostilities could return late tonight. The U.S. is urging Israel, if war continues, to do a better job of protecting Palestinian civilians in Gaza if it resumes the war. The Israelis on their end have vowed to resume the war with full force to destroy Hamas once it's clear that no more hostages will be freed under this temporary truce. The Biden administration is telling Israel right now, according to sources, that it needs to avoid significant further displacement of Palestinians as well as mass casualties among Palestinian civilians if it resumes the war and has to operate with more precision in southern Gaza than it has in the north. Northern Gaza is where anywhere between 20 to 40 percent of buildings have been destroyed. Now, the Israelis have been saying that they've been as precise as they can be as they've taken out several thousand Hamas fighters and commanders over the last seven weeks, though alongside them, several thousand more civilians have been killed. The estimates right now from the Hamas run health ministry are up to 10,000 civilians have been killed alongside those fighters. Now, Israel has vowed that they will end Hamas's 16-year rule of the Gaza Strip and crush its military capabilities that will require the Israelis to expand its ground offensive from northern Gaza into the south. But that is now where most of Gaza's 2.3 million people currently are living, many in UN refugee camps. It's unclear where those people would go if Israel moves to the south. Right now, Egypt on the southern border has refused to accept any refugees Israel has sealed its border as well. The UN put out a new estimate that more than 200,000 homes have been damaged, 46,000 completely destroyed in the Gaza Strip during this war, amounting to basically 60% of homes in the Gaza Strip. That's again why the US is warning Israel here that it has to be much more precise if and when it continues the war following this temporary truce. We also got a sense on Tuesday on the conditions some of these Israeli children were held in as they were held hostage for 50 plus days in the Gaza Strip. Thomas Hand, the father of nine-year-old Irish-Israeli girl Emily Hand, spoke out to CNN on Tuesday. He tells reporter Clarissa Ward that she apparently, Emily, young Emily, nine-year-old, thought that her father was also being held hostage the entire time. She thought the 50 days she was held was actually a year, and he now says that she does not want to be comforted physically and right now has been crying herself to sleep. Here's a clip of Thomas talking about his daughter on CNN. Um... So only when she stepped back a little, I could see her, her, her face was chiseled like mine, whereas before she left, it was, you know, chubby, girly, young kid face. Yeah, she's lost a lot of um, body weight. Um, and the color, she, I've never seen her so white. And the most shocking, disturbing, Part of meeting her was um, she was just whispering. Mm. Couldn't hear her. I had to put my ear on her lips, like this close, and say, What did you say? And she I thought you were kidnapped. Um, she said, I thought you were kidnapped. She thought I was in captivity. They thought they'd kidnapped me. She didn't know what the hell happened apart from that morning. So she's presumed everyone's kidnapped or killed or slaughtered or she had no idea. We also heard from the aunt of 12-year-old Eitan Yahalomi. We told you about him on the podcast earlier this week. He says that he, as he was brought into the Gaza Strip on October 7th, just after the abduction, that he was beaten with sticks. 
by Palestinians in the street, and that during his captivity, he was held in solitary confinement for a couple weeks and also forced to watch videos of the October 7th massacre. We should note Eitan was freed earlier this week, but his father remains hostage in Gaza. Separately, we also learned from the mother of 15-year-old Daphna Zinn and 8-year-old Ella Zinn that they were told by the captors that nobody wanted them back in Israel. Uh, these are the daughters of Mayan Zinn. She was outspoken. We've talked about her op-ed piece in the Washington Post, where she had demanded in recent weeks to be taken to Gaza to be with her daughters. The two girls, thankfully, were released earlier this week. In a bit of positive news before we end here, 85-year-old Yafa Adar was discharged from the hospital on Tuesday to applause by uh, medical officials there. We posted the video on Instagram. You might remember Yafa. She's the elderly Holocaust survivor who was taken to Gaza in that golf cart by Hamas terrorists. She's the mother of three, grandmother of eight, and great-grandmother of seven. She was abducted on October 7th, released on November 24th, taken to the hospital over the weekend after her release, and uh, now has been sent home. Uh, Sadly, one of her grandsons remains a hostage in Gaza. And Elma Avraham, we told you about her yesterday. She's the 84-year-old who was released on Monday. She was put in critical condition, uh, not given meds for her thyroid or heart condition during her 50 days of captivity. We're told that she is improving, no longer in critical condition, and has been taken off a ventilator um, at the hospital, though she remains there as of early Wednesday. All right, before we get started with today's speed read, a lot to get to there, including the ongoing debate over what killed the dinosaur 66 million years ago, we first want to get to our sponsor this week. Thank our big sponsor, Factor Meals. We're definitely pressed for time in our house, but we still want to eat healthy and nutritious. And that's why we're so excited to be partnering with Factor. They are America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. We're not talking about frozen meals from the grocery store here. We're talking about freshly made, refrigerated meals. They can help you fuel up fast, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. They are chef-prepared, dietitian approved I've been using them for several weeks now, uh, mainly for lunch, and really loving the taste here. They're grab-and-go. As I mentioned, they're delivered, not frozen, refrigerated. Uh, you take them, you can heat them up in a couple minutes, and I have to say they're pretty good. With our partnership and the special deal, you get to skip the extra trip to the grocery store, the chopping, the prepping, the cleaning up, while still getting flavor and nutritional quality here. Again, they're never frozen, ready in two minutes. Uh, They also offer special occasion meals. You can choose from more than 35 weekly meal options. They also have a bunch of uh, to-go items that don't require heating up, like grain bowls, salad toppers. They also have a bunch of breakfast options, as well as uh, cold-pressed juices, smoothies, shakes, Definitely give them a try. You can head over to factormeals.com slash monews50. That is factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R, meals.com slash monews50 to get 50% off. Again, the code is monews50 at factormeals.com slash monews50 for 50% off. Definitely check it out. All right, now time for today's speed read from the New York Times. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter's memorial service on Tuesday was attended by presidents, her fellow First Ladies, country music stars, and a number of prominent guests. 99-year-old former President Jimmy Carter emerged from his hospice care to join some of his successors and every living First Lady on Tuesday to honor Rosalind Carter, his wife and partner of 77 years. The former First Lady served alongside her husband from 1977 to 1981 during his time in the White House. She died earlier this month at the age of 96. President Biden, as well as former President Bill Clinton, joined all living First Ladies. That's Jill Biden, Melania Trump, Michelle Obama, Laura Bush, and Hillary Clinton. They all sat in a row together in the front row. We posted the photos on our Instagram account. 
Family and friends honored Rosalind Carter as her husband's alter ego and most important confidant with her own strong will behind a shy exterior and determined commitment to helping the world's most vulnerable. I mentioned former President Carter was in attendance. Uh, He has been in hospice care for nearly a year now, unable to speak publicly, but he was pushed in in a wheelchair, uh, sitting silently alongside his children on Tuesday. With their father no longer able to speak, the Carter children paid tribute to their mother, Amy Carter, their daughter, reading a love letter her father wrote to her mother many, many years ago. My darling, every time I have ever been away from you, I have been thrilled when I returned to discover just how wonderful you are. While I am away, I try to convince myself that you really are not, could not be, as sweet and beautiful as I remember. But when I see you, I fall in love with you all over again. Does that seem strange to you? It doesn't to me. Goodbye, darling. Until tomorrow. Jimmy. So many people at the memorial service just documenting the incredible love story between Rosalind and Jimmy lasting eight decades. In fact, I mentioned this on a podcast earlier. His mother was actually the uh, person who delivered Rosalind Carter. So they actually knew each other as small children, and they would go on to marry uh, after being high school sweethearts. Chip Carter, their son, was also among those who uh, spoke out on Tuesday, saying that his mother helped him get the help he needed to fight addiction, telling those in attendance that she saved my life and would go on to save so many others during her time at the White House and after. Grandson Jason Carter addressed the media afterwards, talking about his grandfather's condition, Jimmy Carter's condition, who was looking very gaunt on Tuesday, Jason Carter telling the press, he's coming to the end and he's very, very physically diminished, but I think he was proud and happy that he was there for her till the very end and he was not going to miss this for anything. In fact, he was driven 140 miles uh, from his home to attend the memorial service on Tuesday. All right, from CNBC now, higher mortgage rates appear to be doing very little to cool home prices in the U.S. Nationally, prices were up 3.9% in September 2023 over the last September and were up month over month from August by about 2.5%, according to the Case-Shiller Index. Now, home prices are up despite the fact that the average rate for the 30-year fixed mortgage climbed to about 8% in the past month. Looking at some of the top markets, Detroit saw the biggest annual increase in home prices by about 6.7% over the last year. San Diego at 6.5%, New York at 6.3%. Only three of the top 20 largest markets in America actually reported lower prices than last year. Those cities happen to all be out west, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and Portland. One of the reasons that a home prices staying so high, relative shortage of inventory, we continue to have a problem with just not enough homes on the market, not enough being built in this country. So that is home purchases. What about rents? Well, rents are starting to ease up a little bit. The national median rent price dropped just about 1% in November from October. That's going to the apartment list. Rent prices have now fallen about 3.5% from the all-time high in August of 2022. However, when you zoom out and look at the last three years, right now rent is still $250 more a month than it was three years ago. As opposed to houses, it does come as there is a record amount of apartment supply coming online this year. There's been a construction boom when it comes to apartments, including some places that are not known for apartments, particularly in the southeast of the country. According to the apartment list report, if you're looking for a deal right now, look No further than this holiday season, right now vacancies are getting up there a little bit, so you might be able to strike a deal on a rent price. 
Okay, now for a status check on how much we all spent this last week from Axios. U.S. shoppers really jumped on online discounts on Cyber Monday to spend a record $12.4 billion with a B on online purchases on Monday. That is up nearly 10% from last year. I know some of you have been saying, well, it's inflation, but this is way above inflation numbers. Clearly people spending more. The discounts have been steeper than years previous. Online spending during the five days from Thanksgiving to Cyber Monday overall was up about 8%. Americans spent $38 billion between Thursday and Monday. I hope some of it was spent by your friends and family for holiday gifts for all of you. Black Friday alone, by the way, nearly $10 billion was spent. Just astronomical numbers, $38 billion over five days again. And we still have just under two weeks till Hanukkah and just under a month till Christmas. All right, a bit of politics here from the Wall Street Journal. Hunter Biden, the president's son, offered a proposal to House Republicans investigating his father and looking into possible impeachment. He is willing to testify, but only publicly, so that Republicans cannot twist or selectively leak what he says, according to his attorney. Now, this proposal was put forth by Biden's lawyer, Abby Lowell, and it marked the latest escalation in the months-long standoff between Hunter Biden and Republican lawmakers investigating him and his father. The more aggressive approach here from Hunter seeks to ward off the prospect of a closed-door hearing. The fear from Hunter and his team is that after that closed-door hearing, Republican committee members could then cherry-pick parts of his testimony to leak to the public. All of this, of course, is not loved by the White House, who just want to put this whole situation behind them as Biden, his father, seeks re-election. Now, the spectacle of a public hearing could also present risks for the White House, putting Biden's business dealings squarely in the news. And the last thing the president wants to be talking about is that. But it's an interesting move here by Hunter Biden, deciding that he can do better before the public, before the video cameras than he can do in private that potentially he could gain some sympathy here or call out Republicans who've been investigating him. They have been using Hunter Biden now for several years to link President Biden and uh, the family to some unsavory figures around the world. But so far, despite some anecdotes, the Republican congressional investigation has not been able to show evidence so far that President Biden himself has benefited from Hunter Biden's business dealings. The testimony has revealed that Hunter Biden's business model was to basically offer clients the prospect of access to his father when Joe Biden was vice president. And while there have been a lot of allegations thrown about, again, no evidence that Vice President Biden, while he was sitting vice president, benefited financially in any way, though uh, so far we have learned that Joe Biden would occasionally get on a conference call and meet with his son's business partners saying hello, some niceties, basically to reinforce Hunter's argument that, hey, with me, you get access to my dad. Now, despite the fact that they haven't been able to tie any criminality to President Biden, the controversy has had an impact. 68%, two out of three American voters, believe that Biden acted unethically or illegally in regards to his son, according to a recent poll. So there's a lot of nervousness that a blockbuster public hearing centered on Hunter Biden could backfire on the White House. It could also backfire on Republicans who've had difficulty really being specific here with their inquiry, linking things to President Biden, and it could be a sign of overreach. So a risky maneuver either way. But so far, it's unclear when this would happen because the Republican chairman, James Comer, he's the Republican from Kentucky who oversees the House Oversight Committee quickly rejected Hunter Biden's offer yesterday, insisting that Hunter has to first speak privately behind closed doors before they'll allow some sort of public hearing. All right, finally now, from a current controversy to one that is 66 million years old, the ongoing debate over what killed the dinosaurs. We all know, we've all heard, 
that a massive asteroid and its explosive collision with Earth is often blamed as the reason for the extinction of those massive lizards. But for years, there have been a number of scientists who said it couldn't have been a meteorite alone that is responsible for taking out all of the dinosaurs, one of the most infamous mass extinction events in the history of our planet. So they've been investigating, well, what else was going on during that time? Well, the debate has been reignited with a new study that says it wasn't just the asteroid, that there were massive volcanic eruptions that had already thrown the Earth's ecosystem into chaos and was already threatening the existence of the dinosaurs before the asteroid showed up. The new findings were published in October in the journal Science Advances. An international team of researchers finds that the world that those dinosaurs were already living in around 66 million years ago was already teeming with critical levels of sulfur that set the stage for their mass extinction. Now remember, the extinction of the dinosaurs that came with that asteroid basically wiped out 75% of life on Earth. It ushered in the end of the Cretaceous period and basically opened the door to us mammals being able to soon dominate the Earth in the subsequent millions of years. So the big question they asked in this journal article, was the asteroid that slammed into present-day Mexico alone responsible as it unleashed devastating tsunamis and ash that blotted out the sun? Or did massive volcanic eruptions in the hundreds of thousands of years preceding it over in western India already doom life on Earth? So the researchers here actually traveled to western India in an area called Deccan Traps, and they were able to get a sense, they were able to estimate the amount of sulfur and fluorine that volcanic eruptions had already spewed into the atmosphere in the 200,000 years before the dinosaurs went extinct. They found that the sulfur release could have triggered a global drop in temperatures around the world, something known as volcanic winter, and that basically the asteroid was the literal final blow to the dinosaurs. So basically, it was a tag team there of massive volcanoes plus the asteroid. That is the latest from scientists, though we'll continue to uh, update you on the debate over what killed the dinosaurs here. Either way, thank you, volcanoes. Thank you, asteroids, because it basically allowed us, the mammals, to uh, evolve and become the uh, top of the food chain, if you will, here on Earth. All right, we end here, as always, with On This Day in History. We begin On This Day in 1947 at the U.N., where they were discussing what else? The Palestinian issue. On this day in history, the UN General Assembly adopted a resolution that was never implemented, not through this day, that called for a partition of the Palestinian mandate at that time, the British territory, into two separate states, an Arab state and a Jewish state. The modern conflict between Jews and Arabs in the Palestinian mandate dated back more than 30 years to the teens when both groups laid claim to British-controlled territory there. Britain was trying to come up with a division there that would satisfy both sides. Unable to come up with a practical solution, it sent it over to the UN saying, listen, we were able to divide India and Pakistan between a Hindu state and a Muslim state. We're looking to do the same thing uh, in the area west of the Jordan River. The Jews accepted the partition. The Arab countries did not. So just under six months after that UN partition, Israel would declare independence. The Arab countries would invade. Uh, Israel would be victorious in that war in 1948. And we're still dealing with the conflict today as the world tries to negotiate a solution, a Palestinian state alongside a Jewish state. All right, on this day in 1963, one week after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, President Lyndon Johnson appointed the Warren Commission, headed by the Supreme Court Justice, to investigate the assassination of his predecessor. 
they would come back and reinforce the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald was the sole assassin, that the Warren Commission report would leave a lot of holes and has continued to be controversial to this day. As, by the way, more than a thousand documents remain classified by the CIA pertaining to that assassination. All right, and we end with a bit of music history on this day. 50 years ago today, the fifth single by the group called The Beatles, you might be familiar with them, I Want to Hold Your Hand, was released in Great Britain. They would, of course, go on to an extremely prolific career in the time the group would stay together. Uh, notably, also on this day in history, we would lose one of their members, George Harrison, to cancer in 2001. And finally, an 80s hit, since Jill isn't here, she doesn't love 80s music. On this day in 1986, You Give Love a Bad Name by Bon Jovi reached number one on the Billboard charts. Bon Jovi, the pride of New Jersey. One of the prides of New Jersey, right? They also have Bruce Springsteen over there. All right, I want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share our podcast with your friends. Word of mouth is how we grow here. So tell friends, tell family, tell your neighbors, tell strangers about us here at the Mo News Podcast. We're available on more than a dozen platforms. They can find us over at mo.news slash podcast. Please also follow this show, subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We also put out interviews once a week. And thanks to all of you who have joined Mo News Premium. So grateful to all of you. If you haven't joined yet, it's a way to support us here at Mo News. It also gives you access to our members-only Instagram account where I answer your questions daily about the news. We go to deep dives on a whole variety of issues and you also get access to the Premium Podcast, early access, exclusive episodes. So appreciate all of you who have joined Mo News Premium. If you haven't, what's keeping you? Do it today. Do it right now. Mo.news slash premium. All right, everyone. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.